Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, The Favor and Presence of God, Exodus 33. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the title, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. Now, I still do not have the written study on the website for you to purchase, so I'll let you know whenever I do. And if you want a free copy of that, since you've been listening to this without it, then email me and I'll send you a code for a free copy whenever I get it done. Last week, we talked about the consequences of the golden calf. And Moses pleaded with God for mercy on the people, even though they had broken his laws. And I want to read you just a little bit of Moses's plea because God responds further to this request in chapter 33 of Exodus, which is what we're going to go over today. So let's go back to Exodus 32, 11, and Moses pleads with the Lord and says, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever." And so it says that the Lord relented from the harm that he was about to do to the people because he had wanted to destroy the whole nation and start over with Moses and his descendants. And then this is a further response from God to Moses. So this is Exodus 33, 1 through 3. And it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, and you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, Amorite, Hittite, Perizzite, Hivite, and Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And so I wanted to read Moses's plea again to the Lord for mercy because he asked all of the things to God according to God's promise to Abraham. And then this first part is God's confirmation that indeed he will fulfill his promise to Abraham. He will bring the people into the land that he had promised. And this is just proof that God wants us to pray according to his word. Moses was praying according to the words that God had already spoken to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and to him. And so God likes for us to do that because it shows our faith and our trust in him whenever we repeat his words back to him. 
And that's what Moses was doing. By praying like this, then we're showing him that we believe in his power and we trust in his faithfulness and his goodness towards us. And when we know the word of God, then we know God's character. We know the things that he's able to do and we can pray according to that. And so it's very important that we not only pray to God, but we also know his word. And we don't just know his word, but we also pray. All of the aspects of our walk with God are important. And if we're just praying, but we don't know God's word, then we can't pray in accordance with his will in the same way. And if we know God's word, but we don't ask him to fulfill it in our lives, then we're not demonstrating our faith in what he said. And so since Moses was praying according to the promise that God had given to him and his descendants before him, God confirmed he would do this. That's what he was saying when he says, I will send you into the land that I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then also God said, I will send my angel before you and I'll drive out all the people in the land that I'm sending you to. But then God says something interesting. He says, but I can't go in your midst because they are rebellious people and he knows they are rebellious by nature. And so if he is in their midst, he is going to continuously watch them turn against him and provoke him to anger. And it wouldn't be to the people's benefit for him to go with them if he just ended up getting mad at them and killing them along the way. So Moses told the people that, and then let's read what their response was in verse four through six. And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now therefore take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. So the people are so sad by this news that God's not going to go with them because they are stubborn, that they take off all of their jewelry. Remember that their jewelry is what they used to sin. And so God told them, take that off. You are in mourning for the sin that you committed against me. And you're not going to be wearing this jewelry anymore if you're going to use it to sin against me. And then Moses does a little detour from his conversation with God to explain to us where he goes whenever he talks with God at this time. And so we're going to read verses 7 through 11 says, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass, when Moses entered the tabernacle, that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all of the people rose and worshipped, each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the temple. And so before they built the tabernacle that all of the people were able to go into, Moses had a tent that was outside the camp that he would go into whenever he would meet with the Lord. 
And remember that whenever God met with all the people on Mount Sinai to deliver the Ten Commandments to them, he told them to prepare themselves to have a meeting with him. And it was a serious meeting and he wanted them to be reverent to him. So at this time, the people are not meeting with God and hearing his voice because remember they said that they were afraid of his voice and they wanted Moses to talk with him instead. But they're still showing reverence for the fact that Moses and God are meeting. When God is meeting with them or their representative, they are being reverent. They did not do that whenever Moses was meeting with God on Mount Sinai. They just went about their business. And so now they're saying, whenever Moses is talking to you, we're not just going to go about our business. We're going to stand at the door of our own tents and watch him as he walks to meet with you as if we were meeting with you ourselves. And then while he's meeting with you, since we're not hearing your voice, we're not going to be able to listen to what is being said between the two of you, but we're going to stand and worship while y'all are talking. They're showing reverence for him and showing him, we know there's a meeting happening between you and Moses, and we're going to give it the focus and respect that it deserves and not just go about our business as if you're not meeting with us. So that's a good thing that the people are doing. And then I want you to notice one more thing that it says, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. So God and Moses are just able to go in here and meet and just talk with each other, just like we would talk with our friends. God descends in the pillar of cloud and just talks with him. And, you know, every time I hear something like this, I'm tempted to think, ah, wouldn't that be so neat if we could just go into the church and talk to God every time and he would just talk back to us just like a friend. But then I remember that I have something so much better than that because I can talk to God just like a friend. The Holy Spirit has enabled that to happen, but I'm not bound by the church house. I don't have to go to a specific place. So that's better than what Moses had. And also, I'm not bound by a specific time. We, through the Holy Spirit, are able to talk with God at any place, at any time, just the same way as Moses did. It doesn't seem the same because we're not hearing a verbal voice, but our spirit talks with the Spirit of God. Listen to what it says in Romans eight sixteen: The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So his spirit speaks to our spirit and our spirit can speak right back to him. So we can have this one-on-one conversation just as Moses did. But we're not confined to space and time in the way that Moses was or even in the way that the disciples were all those years ago with Jesus. Listen to what Jesus told his disciples just before he died in John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So Jesus knew the disciples were going to feel exactly the same way. They were going to wish that Jesus was with them. And Jesus said, no, it's actually better for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, then the Holy Spirit isn't going to come to you. And Jesus knew the ability that the Holy Spirit had to talk individually with every single person at the same time. He couldn't do that. 
He couldn't talk to one person one-on-one without it affecting all the other people around or without it excluding all the other people around. And he couldn't talk to people that weren't physically with him. But the Holy Spirit can do all of those things. So we actually do have ability to talk to God face-to-face like a friend, exactly like Moses did, but we're not bound by time and place as Moses was. So we have to remember those things whenever we are tempted to feel like we don't have it as good as they did back then or something like that. Okay, so... So far, what has happened is Moses asked the Lord to have mercy on the people and bring them into the land that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God agreed to do that. But he said, my angel will go before you, but I will not go before you. And then Moses was about to respond and realize, oh, the people need to know where I went to talk with God whenever I would talk with him in those days. And so he just went on a little detour and told us about the tent of meeting outside the camp where he would go to talk with God. And now he's going to tell us what he said to God in response to God telling him that he was not going to go up in their midst. So this is verses 12 and 13. It says, then Moses said to the Lord, see, You say to me, bring up this people, but you haven't let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. So after all that the people have done, Moses just needs a little bit of reassurance, right? He asked God, you know, show yourself to me. Let me know that you really care about me and your children. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we were Moses and God had put us in charge of such difficult and rebellious people, it would probably feel like God didn't like us very much, right? We'd be like, you keep saying you have favor on me, but it doesn't feel like it because this is not a good group of people you put me with. And this is hard. But he knew that God knew him personally, and he knew that God favored him. And that's why he's saying these things. What's really happening is, I know that what you're telling me is true, but I just don't feel like it. Like logically in my head, I know it's true, but I can't get my feelings to line up with what I know to be true. And that happens to us too sometimes, right? We logically know these things in the Bible are true. We logically know who God is and what he is capable of. But sometimes we just can't get our feelings to line up with it. The fact is that the Bible tells us that we're his children and that he loves us and he cares for us just as he had favor on Moses. But when everything is hard and bad and difficult, then it may feel to us like God doesn't care. He doesn't love us very much. We may be confused as to why all of these things are happening if he really loves us as we know that he does. And so I think that this passage tells us that it's okay for us to ask him for reassurance. You know, if we need to know that he sees us or he hears us or he cares for us or he will be with us, if we need him to show us his ways and help us to believe in his plan for us, then we can do that. We can ask him, God, I just need reassurance of these things. Like I logically know it, but right now I just can't make myself feel them. And so when we feel like that, then we need to repeat God's words back to him. 
so that he knows that we hear what he's saying and we trust him and we just need his help to make our feelings line up with all the things that we know. And so I want to read you a few verses. The first one's just reminding us that God does love us and we are his children. This is John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believed in his name. So if we believe in his name, then we have the right to be called his children. We know that God loves his children. So we just have to remind ourselves of that whenever our feelings aren't lining up with that. And then listen to what it says in 1 John 3, 1 through 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as Jesus is pure. So because of the love that he has for us, then we are able to be called his children. We know that that is because he loves us. So when we doubt how much God loves us, we have to remember, no, he loves us enough to say we're his children. That's how much he loves us. He loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. Okay, I want you to listen to the first 12 verses of Psalm 25 because this is a perfect psalm for just reminding ourselves of all the things that God is and asking him to show us his ways and teach us what he wants us to do, lead us, all of those things. So listen to what it says in Psalm 25, beginning in verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed that deal treacherously without cause. So here he's just saying, I trust in you. Don't let me be ashamed for trusting in you. The people that need to be ashamed are the people that don't trust in you. And then he says, beginning in verse four, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice and the humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. So this whole passage, the psalmist just continues to go back and forth to, you know, the things that he needs, which is guidance and justice and truth and all of the things that he knows about God, that God is merciful and kind and truthful and just. And so he's just going back and forth between God, you're all these things. And since you are all of these things, I ask you to lead me. So it's very similar to what Moses is doing here. And then Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, if we want to know his ways, we need to ask for them. 
It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. If we want him to direct our paths, we need to acknowledge him, not lean on our own understanding. Trust him. And so that's what Moses is doing here. Moses says, I need you to show me. Show me your ways. Let me know that you favor me. Okay, so let's read the last part that we're going to read today verses 14 to 17, and see what God's response is to Moses asking, show me your ways that I may know you and I might find grace in your sight. Verse 14, God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, don't bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except that you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. And so the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I do know you by name. So God said, okay, I will, I will go with you, and I will give you rest. God added that last little part, right? And I'll give you rest because he knows that this must be exhausting dealing with his people. And so he says, Moses, I'll give you rest. I will go with you. It will take the burden off of you if I'm with you. You'll have peace there. And then Moses says, okay, well, if you decide not to, I just can't do it. Like, don't bring us out of here if you're not going to go with us. I cannot do this alone, right? Moses knows this. There's no way I can move ahead if you're not with me. And this is the same thing that Jesus told his disciples in John 15 that they could not do anything without him. Listen to John 15, 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So without God, we can do nothing. And that's what Moses is saying. Without you, there's no way I can move forward. And not only that, but the fact that God is with them is the only thing that sets them apart from the rest of the people. That's what he's telling us. How are the people going to know that I've found grace in your sight if you don't go with me? The only thing that separates them from the other people is that God is with them. And so if God isn't with them, they're just like everybody else. They have no more power. And it's the same with us. We're not different from the world for any reason other than because we have God. His presence with us, His Holy Spirit living inside us, that's the only thing that makes us different from the world. And Jesus tells the people that. He says that He wants to separate them from the world. Listen to what it says in John 15, 19. If you were of the world, the world would have loved its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So Jesus is saying the world hates you because you're not like them. You're different because you have me. That's what makes us different. Listen to what it says in 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 16. This is Paul talking and he says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry Although I was a formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. 
And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are of Christ Jesus. This is the faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe in him for everlasting life. And so without him, we're just another sinner on this earth, right? We're no better than anyone else that was created in God's image. And we all fall short of his intended purpose for us continually. The only difference between a Christian and an unbeliever is that we're not condemned by our sin. Instead, we're justified to God because of the favor that Jesus had for us on the cross. The favor that God had on his children by sending his son there to die for us. We all still sin, but as believers, we're no longer enslaved by our sin. That is only difference. Listen to what it says in John three eighteen. This is the difference between believers and unbelievers. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who doesn't believe is condemned already because he hasn't believed in the name of the only begotten son. So the person that believes is not condemned and the person that doesn't believe is condemned just because he doesn't believe. That's the difference is whether we're condemned by our sin or not. And that is all dependent upon whether we have the Holy Spirit living in us or we do not. John eight thirty four and 36. Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave doesn't abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So that makes a distinction between the sinner that is a slave to the sin and can't stay in the house of the master. And then the son that stays with him all the time and is made free by Jesus, free from our sin. That's the only thing that makes us different. We're free from the bondage of sin. And then Romans 5.18, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even as through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. So the contrast there is that being born of Adam and having his offense brings judgment and it results in condemnation. But being born of the son of man, then we have the free gift of justification. That is what makes us different. And so thankfully, God reassures Moses. When Moses asks for all this reassurance, God agrees that he'll give him everything he asks for. And he says it's because he truly does favor him. Listen to the last part. What a wonderful way to end. Verse 17. So the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I do know you by name. God knew Moses' need for peace and guidance, and he was willing to provide everything that Moses had asked for because Moses had shown that he trusted in God and he delighted in God's presence, and that made God want to give him the desires of his heart. Listen to what it says in Psalm 37, 3 through 5. So the last verse. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
Commit your way to the Lord and trust also in him and he will bring it to pass. So delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. God wants to grant us the things that don't change his will for us. The people were going into the promised land one way or the other, but Moses needed reassurance and God was happy to give it because he wants to give us the desires of our heart. But we have to first demonstrate that we delight in him, in his presence and that we trust him. And that's what Moses was doing here. He said, I can't go if you don't go. That shows I want you with me. And once Moses said, I need you with me, God, you have to come. God said, yeah, I can do that. I can give you the things that you need in order to feel comfortable about going to this place because I do favor you and I do know you. So pray according to God's word. Pray according to his character and the works that we see in his word. He wants us to do that. He wants us to repeat his words back to him and say, God, I want these things. And God says, yeah, that lines up with my will also. I want to give you those things. I'm so glad you asked. That shows me that you trust me, that you know my word, that you care about me. You want a relationship with me. God wants us to have that one-on-one relationship with him like Moses did. That's why he wants us to ask for the things that he already wants to give us. He already told Moses he wanted to give these things, but he was thankful that Moses asked for them. He was thankful that Moses said, yeah, God, you said you wanted to give me these things and I want them. Please, I trust you. Bring us into the promised land and guide us and show us your way and be with us. So next week we will see God's glory. Moses is going to ask for one more thing. He wants to see God's glory and God is going to deliver another set of the Ten Commandments to him and then allow Moses to see his glory. So make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss that episode because it's going to be wonderful for us to also see a glimpse of God's glory. Also, leave me a five-star review. Leave me comments wherever you're listening. If you'd like to email me, my email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. Thanks and have a good day.